The Old Testament reading for this fifth Sunday in Lent, Judica Sunday, is from 2 Samuel chapter 12. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Here ends the Old Testament. The epistle reading is recorded in Romans chapter 2, beginning the first verse. You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads you toward repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. Here ends the epistle. We stand in honor of the Holy Gospel. The Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew, chapter 20, beginning the 17th verse. Glory to you, O Lord. Now as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death, and they will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked him for a favor. What is it you want, he asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup. But to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. Those places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. 
When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Here ends the Holy Gospel. Okay, we're going to have a contest. Uh Uh-oh. There's going to be some contest. There's going to be losers. There's going to be losers. They're coming anyway. Notice I didn't say there'll be winners and losers. Just losers. Okay, everybody go to the north side. This side. Or I guess you can, it's okay. Which way do you want to go? Mama, you want to be, she can be over here. But we have to have enough room for the contest. Go by Mama. Hannah, go by Mama. This is the standing broad jump. Okay, I'll give you the rough idea, and I'm a loser too. I have to get behind this line, and I have to get completely over that line over there. How many of you think I can do it? Standing, broad jump. No run, standing. Really? (laughs) You want me to try? Lean into it. Ah! Nope, didn't make it. Now, just pretend that it isn't just the floor here, but you're on one of the little arms of the Grand Canyon. And you want to jump over one of the little arms of the Grand Canyon. It's maybe only six, seven hundred feet down. Oh. Any of you want to try it? Okay. Both feet behind that line. As close as you can. Okay, with one mighty leap, got to make it over to this line. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hey, what are you clapping for? You know, he, he landed just outside the line. He would have tumbled down into six, and, six or seven hundred feet of nothing. But good attempt. Anybody else want to try it? Hannah doesn't want to try it. No. The one truth that you first have to understand when it comes to gaining heaven is you can't. There's nothing that you can do about it. But there is one way that you can get across, one way only. 
Now, the cross of Jesus is the only way. But you have to have enough faith to cross over. Now, this thing is somewhat tippy. How's that? Now, the good news is that I will help you. Jesus will take your hand through life. Should we have any other, any other volunteers? <laughs> no? Only one brave person who almost made it? Hannah wants to? Are you sure? Wow, I don't know. Can you walk on that? Has she done this? And Oh, okay. You have more faith than I do, Hannah. Okay, come on up. Okay, can you step up there? Or no? That's kind of scary. Yeah, that's... <laughs> ladies, any ladies want to try? Only get one volunteer. Sure? Okay. Maybe you don't even need my hand. No, I'm going to do it anyway. See? Yay. You trust the cross, that Jesus died on the cross for you. He, he's there with you, takes your hand. That's the only way you get across. You don't fall. You don't fail. You enter into heaven only that way, by faith in Jesus. How's that? Thank you for trying. Okay, you can go back again. In this year, 2017, we've been hearkening back to the time of Martin Luther. In 1514 and 1515, Luther began to realize something just how bad off he was. Even though he was told by the church of that day, you're not that bad off, you're a monk. You've decided to follow Jesus and there's such dedication to be a monk. And he was a super monk. He did everything he was supposed to do and more. But his conscience kept nagging at him. He wasn't sure about that. This didn't seem right that scrubbing floors and starving himself was actually going to pay for his sins. That's what they told him. It's what he did. But he wasn't quite sure of it. At one point, however, prior to 1517, he was in such a funk about the whole thing. He was sure at looking at what he had done and what God required, as far as he could tell, that he was certainly going to fail. So he talked with Dr. Staupitz, who ran the monastery. And Dr. Staupitz basically said, Brother Martin, all you have to do is to love God. He didn't give him a ton of commandments, just all you've got to do is love God. That made matters worse for Brother Martin. Because at this time, he looked at all the commandments. He knew the commandments, knew them in order. He looked at those things, 
and he began to see he wasn't keeping even ten commandments. And then he started not loving God, but actually being angry at God, that God would have him do things that God himself knew he couldn't possibly do. The bar was set way too high. So when Stalpitz that one afternoon said, all you have to do is love God, Luther's reaction was, I can't. I hate him. He requires me to do things that I cannot possibly do. I hate him. I'm going to hell. Stalpitz then sent him off ostensibly to keep him busy. Sent him off to the University of Wittenberg to study, keep his mind on other things. He thought that that would cure this poor young man's soul. He wouldn't think about stuff too much. So he sent him off to the university to study for a doctor of theology and scripture. And Luther dug right in. He had a suspicion from his conscience that something wasn't right, but he wanted to make sure. And the only way he could be sure is from scripture itself. So he dug into scripture on this issue. What must I do to be saved? He was not going to take opinions or church answers. What did God actually say about the whole issue? Now, prior to the beginning of what we think of as the Reformation in October of 1517, Luther did discover something which was extremely important as a preparation for the gospel. Our text from, is from Galatians chapter 2, and by the way, that's one of the first things that Luther studied was the book of Galatians. Therefore, you are without excuse, totally, O mere human being, every one of you passing judgment, or in whatever matter that you judge the other person you yourself are being condemned. And you, the one who is judging, continues to be making, who is continuing to be making a practice of doing the very same things. And I'm going to give you a lovely list of what he's talking about here. What are these same things that we're being warned against? Okay. Hold on to your seats. It's meant to hit you as hard as it hit Luther back in early 1517. This is from Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and wickedness of men who by their wickedness are, first of all, suppressing the truth. He actually has a list here. There's God's truth, and man merely doesn't not listen to it, but he tries to push it aside. He also talks about the denial of God's existence. The people do that to try to get out from under their guilt. Making idols out of mere creatures or things that God has made. He talks about impure lusts 
impurity outside of marriage in particular. And he goes into the politically incorrect issue of homosexuality in quite some detail. And then he talks about every kind of wickedness. Here's the fast list. Filled with every manner of wickedness, evil, covetousness, malice, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malignity, gossip, slander, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, who go about inventing evil, disobedient even to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless, even though they know God's decree that those who continue to do such things deserve death. Yet they not only continue to practice them, but even approve of those who are doing them. Hopefully the shotgun had enough shot in it to hit every single one of us. And by the way, if you say to yourself, well, I only really got nailed on one of them, that's enough. That's the point of what Paul is saying. Luther began to understand that the first truth he has to comprehend is God's bar for righteousness, God's bar for trying to earn eternal life is so far up there, it's simply unattainable. Luther actually thought that was the first part of the good news. At least now he had a sure statement about just how bad he was and that all the works that he had been trying to do, all the ways by which he was trying to make himself feel okay with God, were worthless. He found that as a very freeing truth. We go back to our text. But do you suppose, O mere man, that when you judge those who continue to practice such things and you keep doing them yourselves, that you will escape the judgment of God? Answers no. But it's human nature that we try to make ourselves feel better by noticing some other yahoos over there who are doing all sorts of things that are worse than you'd ever do. Or are you despising the overflowing riches of God's kindness and his patience and his long-suffering, being ignorant that the kindness of God is meant to lead you to repentance? Ow. No, I'm taking another... Another victim. Anybody want to be a victim? Ken? Stand up. In fact, you may be the perfect victim. Uh, what school did you go to when you were a kid? Muskegon Catholic. Muskegon Catholic School. Put out your right hand. <laughs> yeah, that's right. 
the rod was meant to, I won't do it, because maybe you've got arthritis now, a little. <laughs> if you get whacked enough, that'll turn you around. It doesn't work that way. In point of fact, uh, look that direction. If all you know is the threat of the law, the pain that it can bring, and that's all that you ever hear, and you feel a few little strokes of this on your back, human nature is going to tell you, don't just stand there and take it. But you did. But human nature says, don't stand there and take it. Run. <laughs> This is not repentance. This is not a change of heart and life. He's just running for his life. Okay. Oh, we want another victim? No. Okay, you can walk back now, civilly. When Paul talks about repentance, he doesn't mean fear and terror and horror of God's judgment and pain and suffering as though if you suffered enough, you could somehow justify yourself. Repentance doesn't have to do with that. Repentance actually must include God's kindly, loving grace. He talks about the overflowing amount of God's mercy and grace. You might know that you're sinful, but it's only that assurance from God that he really does love you. That's the only thing that would actually turn you around. It's not just that I wasn't wailing on you. This was, for Luther, the truth then of this particular Sunday. Judica, God's judgment. What is the purpose of God's judgment? To lead you to repentance. That is, you do know your sins, but more importantly, you do know and are assured that God actually does graciously love you and that that love is the overflowing riches of kindness, of patience, of long-suffering, and especially forgiveness. That's the only thing that is going to turn away this great terror and fear of God's judgment. And that was the beginning of the Reformation. It was personal at first for Martin when that truth came clearly into his mind from the next chapters of Romans. And he would be so bold as to proclaim it with the 95 theses that he wrote on October 31st. 1517. Paul says, but in accordance with your hard and unrepentant heart, you are but storing up a seething wrath for yourself on the day of anger at the revelation of God's righteous judgment. The gospel is not something that you can just take or leave behind. There's only one way into eternal life. One name given under heaven 
given among men by which we must be saved. And it's the name of Jesus who was crucified in your place. This Judica Sunday is meant to bring us to a full recognition of how much we need the cross all the time. Not just once in a while when we make a little faux pas, but constantly. Judica Sunday should bring us to a full appreciation of what Jesus does, not just for our own sins, but for the sins of the world. The sins of the world. That's why at this second chapter, Paul is saying, don't you go around judging, condemning other people because we're all the same. This grace of God is intended for all. God would that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So if I've made you feel bad on this Judica Sunday, thank God. But if I've done so further so that you appreciate more fully the grace of Christ day by day, then even though it's Lent, I will say, Hallelujah. Amen. And the peace of God that passes understanding will keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Amen.